0: From the leaf-strewn studios of Univest at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another enriching episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. The leaves are falling, and that means it's time to collect the most precious amendment you can give your garden. Or is it wrong to deprive overwintering insects of their off-season home? I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll discuss how you can protect those insects and still shred some leaves for mulch and compost making. Plus, your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and symphonically serene stratifications. So stay right where you are, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you leafing away right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of
1: natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and
0: the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and coming up later in the show, you wouldn't think fall leaves could stir up a ton of controversy, but they have over the past couple of years, and we'll discuss the best ways to utilize those leaves in your garden while still protecting wildlife. Very interesting. You won't want to miss it, and you won't. Just stay tuned for after more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Paul, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Paul. How you How doing? How are you doing? I'm doing, Ducky. I'm fine. <laughs> good am Good to hear
1: Ducky's doing well.
0: Yes, Ducky is here. Ducky is in the studio. Um, uh, where are you, Paul?
1: I am in Albany, Oregon, or as I say, beautiful Albany, Oregon.
0: Make up your mind. <laughs> okay. I, one thing about doing this show is there's so many people who live in like New York, comma Texas. I mean, it's like, did they run out yeah, of names? And don't tell me you Karen were. Texas. And don't tell me you were first because you weren't. All right. So yeah, uh, Albany, or- Oregon. Um, put me in uh, the part of the state you're in.
1: We're in the Willamette Valley. We're just on the I-5 south of Salem, Oregon, the capital.
0: Oh, a great wine growing region, right? Very good Pinots here, yes. Okay, excellent. What can we do you for?
1: Well, so I I decided uh, I've been doing gardening for a few years, and I wanted to get into composting is the next step. And I, I have an HOA, very strict rules. So I got a hot bin composter. The idea, it's all contained. But, and, and, and last fall, I invested in the uh, reverse blower so I could shred my leaves, and I collected bags of leaves and started composting, and I, it just didn't seem to go anywhere. Uh, I thought I was doing my mixture correctly, but, you know, can't come the middle of summer, it didn't seem like stuff was breaking down the way it was supposed to, and now I feel like I just
0: have a pile of rotting leaves that you can actually see the shape of. Hey, don't disparage rotting leaves, pal. You know, that's what (laughs) that's what grew the hardwood forest, the Great Plains, the fields of wildflowers. Okay, so you shredded your leaves. Yeah. What else did you put in?
1: Well, uh, mostly vegetable uh, kitchen scraps and, uh, and and then, you know, I would try some other things too to try to get the heat. It, it seemed like I never got the heat up to what it was supposed to be. So, you know, I tried the uh, coffee grounds and I had a friend that, you know, assured me that his lawn wasn't treated. He had a little property and I, that was the only thing that got the heat up was the Grass clippings.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly correct. Um, Shredded leaves alone will turn into compost, uh, but it's not going to be immediate. And the more shredded they are, the faster it will happen. One basic rule of composting is the smaller the particle size, uh, the more rapidly the material will turn into compost. Now, I, people yell at me about this, but most kitchen scraps are, quote, cold. They don't have a lot of nitrogen. So oh. they help, but they do help feed the living organisms on the leaves, and it is the leaves that become the compost. Now, to make hot compost, you need a hot source of nitrogen which can be um, poultry manure, uh, well-composted horse manure. Uh, I have always found that uh, coffee grounds are one of the best. Um, And again, if you're sure they're from a non-treated lawn, uh, grass clippings are 10% nitrogen. But you should tell your friend to leave the clippings on the lawn. Because, yeah. you know, that feeds the lawn. He's really taking away the natural nutrients there. And I've been to Oregon many times. And you're not exactly Seattle, so there's not a coffee shop on every corner. But it, it you can, you know, you can find one pretty easily. So I would simply urge you, now that we're getting into the warmer weather... And the odds are more in your favor. Um, start collecting coffee grounds from a shop and add those mm-hmm. in good numbers. But it's also very important yeah. to mix. The old advice used to be to layer your compost. You know, a layer of this, layer of that. And whoever mm-hmm. decided that failed. You know, basic chemistry. You don't get a reaction by isolating ingredients. Perfect. You get a reaction by combining yeah. them. So there is a simple tool that you can buy. Now, you said you have the hot bin, and I think that comes with a little turning device. It did, yes. Yeah. I prefer a true compost aerator. This is, you know, a a long tube that you push down into the compost, and then when you pull it up via the handles – uh, blades come out the sides, and they really mix the stuff up. Oh, But, okay. you know, in reality, um, composting is often a, a multi-season process. You know, the leaves fall in the fall. We collect them. We shred them. Um, but even the best-mixed piles are going to shut down when the really nasty winter weather hits. Then mm-hmm. when the weather starts to warm up again, as you've noticed, your leaves have composted. They have begun to rot. So now mm-hmm. it's it's really your game to lose. Very rarely, unless you're real good at it and live in exactly the right climate, a compost pile begun in the fall may not be ready to use in the spring. But if you add some more nitrogen and really mix it up it's going to be ready um to cover your beds for the winter which may be even a better use for it
1: okay so what would be my ratio of the dry leaves to the uh either the coffee grounds or the manure
0: well i mean it's it's different it depends on what you have um in a uh, a normal size compost bin I recommend, uh, you know, a five-gallon bucket of uh, used coffee grounds. But I made that up. You know, I just like, that seems like the right amount. Shredding the leaves really finely um, can really help accelerate the process. Um, This year, my intern and I are experimenting with double shredding the leaves. You know, emptying the bag of shredded leaves on the ground and then sucking them up and shredding them again. And so far, the results are really positive. So, composting is not baking. You know, you're, you're not making, you're not checking the oven temperature. You're not timing perfectly. You're not yelling at people not to open the door or make noise. It's more like compost. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, and the compost will teach you as you do this season after season. Okay.
1: Now I have these. Uh, it's a half full. The, I sent you some pictures. Uh, the, uh, what do I do with those leaves that are
0: there? Well, uh, basically, it would not be a bad. No, no, I know. Uh, Basically, it would not be a bad idea to empty out the bin. Um, You may be surprised that the bottom is uh, composed of a good amount of finished compost. So then you pile up the stuff that didn't get composted, which is generally on the top, and you mix it with some fresh uh, shredded leaves and some coffee grounds and now you're cooking faster so every okay. year if you follow this process the compost will be done earlier in the season it, it's like anything else you just you just got to be patient and after 5 years you'll do it without thinking okay okay Thank which, you is, very much. which is which yeah. is how i do all my gardening and live yeah, okay, right, and right, live yeah. my life and you know <clears throat> all right you take care man good luck Thank you. Love your show. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.
2: Bye-bye. Little 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 bug, 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 little bug.
0: Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody who has not yet been blessed with a killing frost to bring in those last green tomatoes before the fruits are killed by cold and then put them to good southern use. But don't go making that big batch of fried green tomatoes just yet because we'll be right back to discuss the many ways you can use your fall leaves. I'm Mike McGrath and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, there is a controversy swirling around fall leaves, just like they swirl around themselves sometimes. Should we leave the leaves for insects to overwinter under, or should we collect them for compost and mulch making? It's going to be... An enthusiastic debate that I will have with myself after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. 888-492-9444. Suzanne, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
2: Well, thank you, Mike. It's always nice to talk to you.
0: It's always nice to talk to you. Um, How are you today?
2: I'm wonderful, except it's pouring rain. And my tomatoes are splitting. I don't know why. Um, but other than that, it's fabulous. We needed the rain.
0: Well, before I ask where you are, Suzanne, you just told me why your tomatoes are splitting. When you
2: <laughs> Well, I know, but I don't know why that happens.
0: Well, because what happens is when you get too much rain with certain varieties of tomatoes, the insides get filled, with moisture, but the skins are not able to expand as rapidly, so the Uh, tomatoes wind up splitting. Now, as long as they're ripe, they're perfectly safe to eat. But if this has been a problem, I would urge you next year to investigate varieties um, that their catalog description or their internet description um, says they are less vulnerable to splitting and/or cracking. Oh,
2: okay. Because some All varieties right. I, can
0: expand at the same rate. Yeah.
2: Okay. Just wonder why. I was curious. I know what happens, but
0: okay. So All right, great. Where are you?
2: I'm in Willamette Valley, Oregon, which is just southwest of Portland.
0: I know it well. I know it well. An excellent wine-growing region.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the vineyards now, and they've all been picked, fortunately, before the rain.
0: Oh, God, that's so important. Um, <laughs> be not, only, not only because, you know, you can't pick wet grapes. I mean, they're going to rot on you. Uh, but you want dry weather so that the flavor is concentrated in the grapes. It's it's almost exactly the same as your tomato issue. They get filled with water, and it can cause splitting even on grapes, and um, it dilutes the flavor. So, you know, if, if you are growing grapes for the first time and um, – nasty, wet weather for an extended period is coming, get out there and pick. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But that's not what you're calling about. What can we do you for?
2: Well, uh, I've expanded my garden so I can grow more garlic. And first thing I need to do is solarize it. But I have three small plum trees in that area. And I'd like to know, we're going to do this next summer, but I'd like to know how far out from those trees uh, do I have to go so I don't kill the trees?
0: Okay, so far
2: out with the plastic.
0: Is this soil? Are uh, are are you afraid it has pathogens in it, or is this just for weed control?
2: Weeds and uh, and my other concern is it's full of gophers, and I'm hoping if we solarize it, it'll tell them to go away. Unfortunately, they probably will go into my garden that I already have. Mm. I'm afraid of that. but I, I, So I don't know. Maybe if that's not the right thing to do. It's primarily for weeds.
0: Well, you, you, um, I know from gophers, and they yeah. are a tough pest. Um, here on the <laughs> East Coast, we have to deal more with groundhogs. Um, but I know out where you are, Uh, Gophers are the biggest problem. An old friend of mine who I worked with at Rodale Press back in the 90s uh, moved to the wine country in California and experienced gophers for the first time. So he learned how to collect snakes, black snakes. He had a snake git. In the back of his car, which is a device you use to corral a snake and a big uh, burlap bag. And whenever he found the snake sunning itself, like on a sidewalk or a roadway, he would bring it back and he would drop it down the hole. (laughs) The gopher hole. And I can guarantee you that was a, a very effective and totally organic solution.
2: God. I've been putting cayenne pepper in my garden because the, the moles get in there. And I said, why, "Why are my carrots? Why my why my carrots dying?" Well, they didn't have any roots.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're and they're carrots eating, are nothing
2: so but cayenne but roots. pepper seems to help. And dog hair. I have, I have poodles, so I'm putting their poodle hair in there.
0: Um, I think <sighs> you know the dog hair, brushing your dog, and using the hair as a mulch. That's uh, something I learned uh, during a tour of the bulb fields in Holland back in the 90s that was uh, a new concept they had of protecting tulips, which are the tastiest. spring bulbs, you know, and if you don't want to mess with any of that, just plant daffodils because they're toxic and nobody wants to eat
2: them. I've surrounded my tulip beds with daffodils, (laughs) and then i surrounded that whole planting area with lavender, rosemary, and sage. Okay. It's sort of an herbal fence, so I haven't had a problem with my tulips, but my vegetable garden, oh my God, (laughs) it's terrible. Well,
0: and... Now you remind me because, you know, we're talking about planting garlic, which is very similar to planting spring bulbs in terms of the seasonality. Right. I First of all, I don't think your, your gophers are going to eat your garlic. If anything, they would be repelled by it because you think about yeah. your above ground plantings that you're hopeful for. Um, now you've got... Oh, uh, an excellent mammal repellent underground so right. you know I've never had problems with um, with any kind of mammal pest with my garlic beds you know over 35 years I have had some problems with pathogens but I've overcome that with a, a couple of tricks I've learned over the years I think <laughs> I think that <laughs> First of all, planting the garlic is going to repel the uh, the gophers naturally, so I wouldn't worry about that. Um, I don't know how you know how much you're up for collecting snakes, but they are the prime predator of your gophers, um, and there are ways to make your habitat snake friendly. You know. And half of our listeners are now cringing in a corner. I
2: love snakes.
0: (laughs) Okay, good. Good. Uh, A water source and an area to sun on, like pieces of slate or similar material out in the sun near the area that you want to protect. And they will naturally colonize that. And Mm -hmm. if, if you want... Extra protection, we're talking down the hall. Um, I don't know how far you are from, say, a San Francisco's or another Chinatown. But if you go into a a true Chinese grocery in one of these neighborhoods, you can buy a bag of crushed hot peppers the size of a pillow. Um, for a very reasonable price, and that's what you pour down the hole.
2: Oh, Some like people, it's if easier they're than the cayenne pepper.
0: <laughs> well, you know, cayenne pepper is not the worst, but you you want really hot peppers, and you want bulk, and it's not going to harm anything. Um, when it comes to things like tulips, uh, people will plant sharp stones. Around the tulip bulb to keep critters at bay. Um there used to be a product actually called Away or something like that, uh that you would line the 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 tulip hole with these, you know, pre-made sharp stones, and that would keep critters away. But I don't think you you want to mess with solarization. I don't think it's necessary. And I'm not sure that your region has a long enough, hot enough season for it to be truly effective. And it would not chase um, it would not chase your varmints. I think all it would do would bring um, heating to their homes. And after that, they're going to want air conditioning in the middle of summer and you'll never get rid of them.
2: Well, then what do I do with
0: the weeds? Well, uh, what I would suggest is you I make... I don't
2: want to put poisons on
0: them. I hate Oh, them. no, no, no. There's never any reason for that. Uh, I would recommend what's called a stale seed bed. Um, if the area has not been used for growing for a while, you run a lawnmower over it and scalp it. And, I mean, I want to see dirt blowing out the back of the yeah. mower. And then you water it. And you wait approximately 10 days to two weeks and then make sure you have a sharp hoe. I recommend a diamond hoe, which essentially has a razor blade at the end of the handle. And when the new, we- when the new weeds come up, you slice them off at the ground level and that's it. They're not going to come back. Sure. You've made them use up any energy they had left after your first assault. They didn't get uh, any photosynthesis, and now they're dead.
2: Ooh, I like that idea.
0: All right. My pleasure. You take care. 888-492-9444. Terry, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
3: Thank you, Michael. How are you?
0: I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. How's Terry? Terry is wonderful calling you from Flower Town, Pennsylvania. Okay, that's where all the flour comes from. And Indeed. what can we do for Tarry and Flower Town? I'll give you some background first. Uh, I do have a
3: question that leads up to it, though. Uh, I purchased a house uh, a few years back, had several trees that had to come down because they were basically dead when I purchased them. One happened to be a silver maple, which left my uh, grassy area very acidic. Had several years of trying to get it back to where it okay, needed no, to be.
0: No, no, stop. You're right there. The silver maple had nothing to do with the acidity of your soil. It is a trash tree, but it's not guilty of that crime.
3: Okay. well, thank you for that.
0: Uh, I started to rebuild the lawn about six years ago,
3: and I was turned on by you and your advice. I sent my soil to the Penn State Extension, the Agricultural Analytical Services, uh, in 2021, which I did send your report. And I've had a lot of success uh, since then. now I'm trying to finish and, and make the lawn back to where it needs to be. I've been using malorganite fertilizer for the past couple of seasons, but no lime has been added because I uh, saturated with lime and everything is going well. So the front lawn. Well, is wait, 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 a,
0: wait a minute! Wait a minute! The two men say they're Jesus. One of them must be wrong. Uh, you sent us a ton of paperwork, and your Penn State soil lab said your soil pH was perfect.
3: Yes. Yes. I haven't limed anything because it was uh, over over the limits for the lime.
0: No. So no, it no? it says your soil pH is six point nine, right, right in the middle of optimum. Okay. So yeah. So I switched over to melorganite. Melorganite is dried human poop. It is taken from the sewer system in Milwaukee. And unfortunately, it's not composted. It is just dried. And there were many lawsuits and scandals when it was first released. Um, They were using on pro football fields and the players were coming down sick um, all season long. Um, Since then, they claim to have been able to cut down on the violations of toxic waste that got into the Material, But I do not recommend it. It is or it's it's not organic as far as I'm concerned. There's too many contaminants in it. And and regular compost is better. OK, that's kind of what leads to this a uh, question and answer session. So in Springfield
3: Township, we have a, uh, a compost, uh, free compost. You can come pick up yourself. It's helped out by the um, University of Pennsylvania. And the I'm trying to get to the source of, if it's good enough to put on the lawn like you recommend or not. So I've written to them. I've called them. I can't get the correct
0: answer. Okay. Um, but it's free compost. Okay. I now, they account. make it there, right? Yes. Is it, the also, is it also a drop-off site? It is not. It is not. So we don't know what's going into it. Yes, and and they claim not to have paper. Correct. Um, that's doubtful. Anytime you have bulk compost that you're offering to the public, you're supposed to have an analysis done every year, twice a year, and that information should be available to the buyer. But I'll tell you my favorite trick. Go over to the site with a five-gallon bucket, take some samples, take them home, get two nice big planting pots, fill one with just the compost, Fill the other one, but plant some seeds in it. You know, almost anything you have left over from the beginning of the season, although pea or bean seeds are preferred. And then you Mm -hmm. put them in good light and you water them. After two weeks, if the bucket that was empty has no plants in it, then you know you're not getting uh, compost with a lot of weed seeds. If the plants that grow up from the other one where you seeded grow up or don't grow up at all or grow up looking sickly, then the compost is contaminated with herbicides, which generally happens when uh, regular grass clippings are included in the compost process. Grass clippings from treated lawns uh, can destroy tons of otherwise good compost. Interesting. You Perfect. don't need them. Right. You don't need them. It's cowboy gardening. You can figure it out for yourself and with the evidence of your own eyes. You don't even have to trust anybody.
3: Excellent advice. Thank you.
0: All right, man. You got it. Can I ask you one more, one
3: more question? Dead. Some of the hints you've given on the air. Are you a, a graduate of a Falcon school?
0: Yes. Northeast Catholic okay. High School for Boys. Class of 69. Right Feeling fine. Drinking right. wine all the time. I thought so. Class of 1980, lad. Thank you. Oh, youngster. All right. Okay, Terry, take care. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and urge everyone who still has tomatoes kind of growing in their garden, despite nights in the 40s, to give it up. Strip those green tomatoes off the plants and bring them inside. Sit them out on the kitchen counter, and any that have reached full size will ripen up over the next week or so. But don't go freeing yourself from tomato tyranny just yet, because we'll be right back with some thoughtful thoughts on fall leaves and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
3: This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org.
0: Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will get to a philosophical discussion about how to use your fall leaves. When we mulch them, when we shred them, when we make compost, are we robbing beneficial insects of their overwintering sites? It's something to think about, and we'll be thinking about it after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444, 888-492-9444. Alex, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello. Hello, nice, Alex. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you, too. How you doing?
4: I'm doing just wonderful.
0: There you go, living the life. And where is where Alex am? just wonderful? Woodstown, New Jersey, down in Salem County. Okay. And uh, what can we do you for?
4: Oh, well, I got a ginormous uh, rhododendron bush in my front yard. And uh, I just want to be able to prune it to a certain degree, make it a little bit more orderly, and just make sure it doesn't take over the entire front of my house.
0: Boy, um, why would you want to prevent that in the landscape in front of my house, I grow a variety of ornamental plants, including a rhododendron that was old when I moved in some 35 years ago. And it, it, it outblooms the flowering cherries, the flowering crab apples, the azaleas. I mean, people stop and take pictures. And it's now over the roof line And I I have tried to prune it a couple times over the years uh, to, quote, clean it up, which means I'm as ignorant as uh, I claim other people are. And I was probably bored. So (laughs) every time I've done that, I've created gaps that have taken years to fill in. So Mm. like all men, I learned my lesson the hard way, you know. Right yeah you have to screw up before you get smart. Oh, I know. So I would say unless you have a pressing reason, say there's one branch that's blocking your walkway or something, i I would just relish the fact that you have this beautiful ancient plant. I mean, you know when these things get covered in flowers, there's nothing like them. Right. So do you still want to prune it?
4: Um, I just, if, if there was a way I could make it a little bit more shapely. Um, I do. It does. It does have a little, uh, a couple branches kind of shooting out at odd angles, especially towards the top. Um, so I don't I didn't know if there would be an opportunity just to do some
0: very light
4: pruning, just to make it a little bit more round and spherical.
0: How tall is the top? Ooh, I want to say the whole thing all set is,
4: Probably eight feet tall. I need, a, I need a ladder and I need to lean over the thing. Okay,
0: it's still top. small. It's still Relatively, small. I guess. Like I said, mine mm-hmm. is over the roof line. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, and it's amazing. Um, first of all, no pruning now. Okay. All the flower, and you can see with rhododendrons, they're the classic example. You can see the fully formed flower buds. Right. They're big and fat and they're obvious. So mm-hmm. you don't want to take a single flower to be off. Got so it. if you're determined to do this, you want to wait until the spring. Wait until mm-hmm. the flowering show is over and the flowers are totally fading. Got then... It. Yes. Um, first up, please don't try to prune them into a ball or a square or a hedge. That's, that's not the beauty of the plant. The beauty of the Got plant is, is how it grows in nature. So mm-hmm. anything you do would, would be with hand shears, and you right. would do less than more. Remember mm-hmm. that the top part of the plant – is the actively growing portion. So you don't want to do any damage up there. Uh, For instance, Mm -hmm. if you get caught up in the spring, um, fertilizer happens, and you're looking at it in July and saying, I never got around to that, you're right. You never got around to it, so you wait another year. But in this case, less is more. Uh, Mm. If you really think You need to do something, do one third of what you think you need to do, walk away, come back two days later, and then go, oh, no, I did more than enough. It is is really easy to do a little bit more pruning after a week at the right time of year than it is to be caught outside with duct tape and Gorilla Glue trying to repair the damage. (laughs)
4: Oh, I've done that before.
0: Yeah. So I would say, you know, people get pruning happy. They get pruning obsessed. Um, The plants know what they're doing. I honestly believe you'll be more satisfied if you leave it alone and grow to appreciate uh, the style it wants to present itself in.
4: Okay. Um, Just to be clear, would you consider that to be like uh, the the perfect time to prune would that be early summer after it blooms
0: after the blooms are finished but right mm-hmm. away be- okay. because it begins to set the new flowers quickly for the next year yeah you're not going right. by the calendar the plant will tell you what to do if you pay attention to it all right all right man all right yeah yeah yeah
4: it was a good it was a good year for the rhododendron all yeah. over my town i noticed
0: yeah and uh, so don't screw it up okay <laughs> <laughs>
4: Well, I'll
0: try not to. All right. Good luck to you, sir. Bye-bye. All
4: right. I appreciate that.
0: All right. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, where we will discuss how to handle leaf litter. I always go on a tear this time of year, urging gardeners everywhere to shred and collect every fall leaf possible raised bed mulching and compost making. Shredded fall leaves, after all, are the backbone of a proper organic garden, a perfect weed suppressing mulch, and the essential element in a compost pile where they are difficult, if not impossible, to replace. What about paper? Well, if handled correctly, shredded office paper, newsprint, and those Nifty compostable takeout food containers will break down. But to what avail? Fall leaves are full of plant nutrition and essential micronutrients, as well as billions of microbes. Teeming with microscopic life, they put life back into worn-out soils. Paper products have none of those attributes. They are sterile and nutrient-free. Yes, paper will technically compost, meaning it will eventually degrade, but it will not become compost. However, various societies and universities have begun questioning the removal of, quote, leaf litter. Some delightful butterflies and important pollinators overwinter in leaf litter, they note. And collecting and shredding those fall leaves could lead to a decline in their numbers or help explain an already obvious decline in species like lightning bugs. I feel compelled to add that some nasty pest insects also spend winter the same way, like dangerous and aggressive yellowjackets. As the summertime hive begins to die, impregnated females take flight, overwinter in leaf litter, and emerge in the spring. They find an old mouse hole or a vole hole, fly into it, and begin to birth the workers who will enlarge the hole and build a large complex nest inside, a nest that will hold thousands of mad stingers by mid-August. On the other hand, one of our most amazing insects, the hummingbird clear moth goes through part of its life cycle nestled inside a thin cocoon under leaf litter. It's a day-flying moth that looks and acts like a tiny hummingbird and is an excellent pollinator. It's a delight to see one of these false hummers in the garden buzzing away in one of nature's greatest disguises. So what are we supposed to do? use our leaves to make compost that will help balance the ill effects of chemical farming and gardening that deplete our soils or should we leave the leaves and let nature take her course thankfully i don't suffer this moral dilemma my home and garden are surrounded by untouched woodlands i have a small forest just across the street and a larger one behind and around my home where leaves are left to fall and the only plants pulled are invasives like multiflora rose and overly aggressive natives like poison ivy and Virginia creeper. We do, however, suck up the leaves that fall on the garden and walkways, shredding them as we suck, using a leaf blower with a vacuum setting, and then pile them into bins where they are mixed with spent coffee grounds, to eventually transform into better garden soil than anything you can buy. Kitchen waste? That goes into my multi-level worm bin. Now, I do have kind of a lawn out back that gets sucked when the leaf fall is ridiculously heavy. The rest of the time, the leaves are returned to the soil with a dedicated mulching mower, providing all of the food that grass is going to get. Back to the main event. Should you leave your leaves alone? or work with them to your horticultural benefit. The answer depends a good deal on where you live and what you saw in your garden this past year. Location. The pest and beneficial insects that spend the winter in leaf litter vary across the country. Did you have a severe insect problem on a specific crop this past season? Search your state's official extension website to see if that pest overwinters in your area. If it does, where? Underground? Above ground? Perhaps in the stalks of plants left standing? If it's underground, remove the leaf litter so the soil will freeze hard. If it's in the litter, triple shred and compost those leaves. If it's in the stems, remove them triple shred and compost. Note you must clean up the leaf litter underneath disease and or insect-prone plants every season. If you choose to compost it, this task must be done in a hot pile to prevent future problems. Conversely, you should research which butterflies, beneficials, and pollinators spend the winter in leaves in your region. Unless the leaves are on your lawn or a patio walkway or other potentially slippery surface, leave them be. Otherwise, just rake them off the lawn and walkways and into small piles. That won't hurt the good or bad bugs sleeping inside. Leaves put out for curbside pickup. If you want to make compost and use shredded leaves for mulch, but have a small area and don't want to risk harming overwintering sites, Collect leaves that other homeowners have foolishly thrown away. Don't take any bags that also contain grass clippings, as they could make contaminated compost. And if you gather more than you need, make little piles of unshredded leaves around the garden to provide wintertime homes. And use the rest, shredded of course, for mulch and compost making. A final note give special protection to fallen leaves near water sources. Frogs, toads, salamanders, and lightning bugs are especially likely to use these sites. Well, that sure was an interesting and introspective look at fall leaves now, wasn't it? Luckily for yous, you can read those thoughtful thoughts over at your leisure or your leisure because the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to liberate my leaves if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888 492 9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. And please, 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 if you email us, please, please include your location. And if you don't do it, And we send you an email asking, what's your location? Please do not send an email that simply says Columbus, Ohio. Thank you. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, audio and video of previous shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is an hour-long public radio show and podcast produced and delivered to you every week from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he saw the Three Stooges live on stage at Skioli's in 1960. Ken Queter plays our theme song, our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum, our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey, and our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and ponder pretty pictures of other people's plants at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Teresa Radke. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our mascots are Zach the Tackless Nesky and Ducky the Dancing Duck. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO is Tim Fallon. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be begging my tomato plants to self-destruct until I can see you again next week.